We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Hilda Hilst with my dog eyes. Recently, I was recommended to read the Obscene Madame D five out of five star read. Absolutely fantastic. We're doing more Hilst, right? So then we jump into With My Dog Eyes, and I even read one of her short stories, the Crassus Agricaricus, I don't know how to pronounce it. But we're back with the most aggressive writing I think I've ever read in my life. It's fantastic the way she assaults you. This book is funny, period. This book is easier to read than Obscene Madame D. Period. This book has more madness than Obscene Madame D. I would make an argument for. As I'm still learning Hilda Hilst here, this was so, so different of an experience from the Obscene Madame D. And I'll try to explain why, because there's parts where in Obscene Madame D, you're in this dream, you're lost in this world, and it's almost kind of like a reverie, avoiding time, and it's a very metaphysical type of ontological type discussion. This one, we dive into madness, and, and it's not. It's not we walk into madness. I mean, we dive into madness. We're following a 48-year-old mathematician's life, Amos Keros, Keres. Again, I apologize for all pronunciations. But it opens with the death of his dog, right? That, that's kind of sad and interesting that we're opening up on death. And I think grief can cause us to rethink things, rethink life. And when you look at Hill's life, this isn't meant to be an autobiographical conversation here at this point, but... You see how she escaped life almost in a sense. You know, she found out very young about her father having schizophrenia, kind of worrying about what she would dive into. And she goes out to build this commune where she writes like 80% of her literary oeuvre is done here on this commune where she has people come over and leave. And it's almost kind of like a a free spirit society almost according to the introduction to this. And you hear these stories about uh, immaterialism, right? Like, is is the world just what we see and touch? When 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 I die, is that it? Is my body just done? It's not producing the electrical signals, or is there more to life? Are there ghosts? Are there apparitions? Is there a god up above? Hilda Hilst, as they write about in the introduction, is this is this type of person who's an immaterialist who believed that she captured her mother's dead her dead mother's voice on a tape recording, right? And to me, this is part of what I'm starting to see in Hill's writing, this search of the unknown, this this pull of madness of, of knowing that you're you're potentially going to go down the same route that your, your heritage had, and there's nothing you can do to avoid it. Her characters embody this. And there's always the question of, is Hill just writing these characters the way that she's thinking, or is she 
literally trying to create this madness is a good question. And I had a hard time structuring, how do I wanna talk about this book? It's not like there's really spoilers because it's very psychological. I won't tell you what happens at the end and that sort of thing. But I wanted to go through perhaps like an idea on communication just to show you some of the cool ways that as a writer, she kind of structures things that is very engaging. And it might be maddening to some, but let's, let's talk about this, right? Because when we talk about communication, Right, that idea when we talk about from an author's perspective, how she wanted to reach out to her dead mother, if you will, I think. We just, we see something in Hill's writing that pulls on that. Because in the beginning, we, we start with these ants, which I thought was kind of interesting as we're, we're diving into madness after our dog's death. It says, I stopped on the path. They were conferring now, and I thought there were sounds my ears couldn't capture. The sounds ants would make. Did they admit sounds as they touched each other? And this is a good challenge of knowledge, of communication, even if you will. Because 10 pages later, we have Amanda, the wife, along with Amos, the mathematician, and we start to talk about husband and wife. And can there be communication without words, without anything? Like that idea that you look at your lover and they just know what, what, they, what you mean, right? Is it knowledge of their decisions of past? Is it some secret communication that the ants and others immaterialist spirits are using? And then on page 44, we got hot butt. <laughs> One of Amanda's friends that Amos thinks has a sexy butt. So the two of them are talking and there, there's discussion about how Amos is only okay when he's sitting there watching ants. And you back up to page like 24, 25, and that's when Amos first saw her and he, he gave himself two options. Am I just going to give up into the social engine, jerk off and live this married life and almost, I, I think to Hills probably lives, a, to me it's like a constrained life and constrainment is bad, it seems like to me in her writings, or leave. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean freedom, but it's the idea of leaving, having freedom. Uh, the idea that you, you know, the red pill, blue pill discussion, right? <laughs> like the, the diluted fantasy versus face reality, all coming to this nexus with the ants and when we can communicate and can't communicate. And that's all coming at the point when they meet. So it's not like a linear way of exploring uh, life decisions and such. It's it's a very convoluted web. And it's I picked a very hard one because I thought that was one that was kind of interesting the way that she put it in there. Uh, Hills doesn't give you easy stuff. She's not going to spoon feed you <laughs> the answers. It's definitely a complex web, which did she construct that web? Is it meant to be kind of filled in by the reader? I think so. And there's just tons of clues through this book, right? Like there's quotes from what could be Voltaire. It's a very contentious part, but there's a quote that says, the madness of the search, capitalized search, which is made of concentric circles and never arrives at the center. And for those of you that know, there's a kind of a quote that's attributed to Voltaire, though questionable if it actually is, that God is a circle whose center is everywhere and some and circumference nowhere. So we start to see a little bit of that perspective, that search, quote unquote, that was a big theme in of the obscene Madame D. And there's even some later quotes in terms of like, we have the Medusa quote opening it, but then we have some references of, will you tend towards zero, right? And is this maybe a very obscure reference to Zeno and his paradoxes about how you can never actually reach the end if you you know cut, chop in half every time you travel. Or um, if you look at the Achilles paradox, when this person travels X distance and this person turns Y difference, if you break it up into small and smaller intervals, theoretically, they should never be able to catch up. It misconstrues motion and time, of course. But these are small little nuggets that 
Hilfs puts in there. And do you have to get them? No. Sometimes you can be like, well, what the heck does that mean? But sometimes you recognize those references when you've read Voltaire or when you know some of Zeno's uh, paradoxes and when you know what Medusa is from like a Greek mythology standpoint. She apparently claims per the introduction here that she could have been the James Joyce to Brazil. And I think that's a very bold and interesting statement, right? Because James Joyce is one who does write like that too, like when you read some of his writings. He, he has lucid writings, but he also has those really heavy framework mythology, questionable connection points as well. And if we study Hilst more, would she ever rise to that level is kind of an interesting question. That's a self-proclaimed diagnosis. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. When I look at some of her writings and I see those things, I can definitely see those brilliances, but I also struggle. Maybe I need help. This was something that probably was a little bit more of a frustrating read for me. I would say it might have been like a three out of five stars, but sometimes I have those types of reads and I come back to it later. And once I start to quote unquote get it, because I'm a reader that when I do get it, it definitely helps me enjoy things more that it, it amplifies the experience. So is this a writer that if we studied more and there were more writings on it, could it help explain some of those missing frameworks and connections that I couldn't pick up on? I don't know. Now here's one of the things is I'm seeing a lot of influence of Bertrand Russell. I'm seeing even some influences from Kierkegaard in terms of the existentialism of how do we choose to live and assign value in our lives, which is why next from her, I want to read that Letters from a Seducer, which sounds an awful lot like Diary of a Seducer, which is aka a writing directly out of Kierkegaard's writing with the idea of if we just face self-pleasure versus the eternal, right? And, and here this guy is talking about the blue pill, red pill, that I see a lot of these existentialist dread, these existentialist questions that makes me wonder how much of Kierkegaard influence is there in her writings, which I, I can't wait to get to next. But anyways, this is a book that I buddy read for Leslie. Leslie, I apologize for throwing you in the deep end. Didn't know what we were getting into with this one. Had I read it first, this might not have been my place to have started with you for Hilda Hearst. It's one of those things that this is like erotic, it's psychological. And if you're looking for one of those trippy, you know, if you've read Krasna Horkai or Thomas Bernhard, uh, this is like one of those books that falls into that category of really exploring how should literature be delivered? How should we write and, and lay over it the things? And when does madness just become madness? I won't talk about the ending per se, but think about the ending in the beginning of, of the story. And what does that mean when we're searching and what causes madness? And when we make a decision, a willful decision about whether we're living that diluted life of enjoyment and pleasure or whether we take the red pill. <laughs> Let me know what other things I should check out from Hills because I think I will enjoy that letters from a seducer. My name is Venuna. Peace out.